Make home your favorite new restaurant this spring with Omaha Steaks delivered straight to your door. Have you ever wondered what makes Omaha Steaks so good? It's the aging process. Omaha Steaks are aged at least 21 days. That's where the magic happens. Try these mouth-watering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code VOICES into the search bar, and save over 50% and secure exclusive pricing. Included in the Butcher's Best Sellers package are four iconic fork tender Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, four ultra-juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, four kielbasa sausages, four rich and decadent caramel apple tartlets. Yum, I love those. And so much more. In addition to getting more than 50% off, you'll also get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. All you have to do is visit omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar to order the Butcher's Best Sellers package today. Save over 50% plus get four free chicken breasts and four burgers, all from the company that's been bringing people together for over 100 years. That's omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C., but only for like another month. My guest today is Melissa Walker. She's the author of 10 novels for young adults and children. She's a former magazine editor, and now she enjoys gathering people together to share stories about how they can pull their resources and change the balance of power in state legislatures. Her work has appeared in publications such as the New York Times and Teen Vogue. And let me tell you, this conversation is extremely important. Boy, there's a lot we can do at the state level. And so I encourage you, even if you are a very well-educated political junkie, she's, she may have information that you don't even know. She's so awesome. So I, I hope a whole bunch of people listen to this episode. Now, you know I always try to keep these intros short, but I just want to remind everybody I have a new tier on patreon.com slash startmeup. That's going to get you an ad-free and short intro show, not intro-free show, but I always try to keep these intros short. But I do have a new tier on patreon.com slash startmeup that allows listeners to get an ad-free show. You get just a a quick little brief intro ad-free. I'll get into that in a second. You just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman-run. Patrons keep the show going, so I just want to say thank you so much if you do support the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a look at the About page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see that I've interviewed all kinds of political people. Sometimes I talk with actors about their craft because I used to be one. But again, you can find all that information on patreon.com slash startmeup. I do two free shows every week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up With Me, where I talk about whatever I feel like. And at least once a month, I do a show, patrons-only show, with a guest. Now, I, as I said, I added that new tier that you can listen ad-free and just a brief little intro. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email, and you can use that with PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, become a subscriber because it's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. I just want to say the show is also part of the Demcast Network. All right. Please enjoy my conversation with Melissa Walker. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks, Kimberly. It's nice to be here. Well, I think you're an interesting character because you, like me, have written books uh, for teens and for young adults. And so before we get into the conversation about politics and local legislatures and all that good stuff, which is extremely important, 
I'm just curious on a personal level to know about your books. And then I just also want to know about what drove you to write them. Oh, wow. Well, let's see. I do have a bunch of books out. I have some young adult novels and some middle grade novels, which are a little bit younger. Um, And I think I started writing them because I worked at a teen magazine. Mm. um, And I always felt like my internal narrator was around 17 years old, (laughs) even as I grew up. Me too. Um, That's funny. It's totally, I mean, really, that that internal monologue just stayed in the teen years for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I found it to be very natural to slip into that when I started writing. And I just enjoyed it so much. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so what kind of uh, stories do you write? What are the subjects? Yeah, I write mostly contemporary fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I really identify a story is I try to remember an emotional truth from when I was around the age of my main character. Mm. So... I think a lot of people sometimes wonder, like, oh, well, how do you keep up with, like, what 12-year-olds are saying or what 17-year-olds are into? Mm-hmm. And that stuff doesn't matter so much if you're telling a story that has emotional truth at its so core. So true, yeah. Because we all go through mm-hmm. these big things. And, of course, every teenager feels like they're the only person this has <laughs> ever happened to, the only person who's ever felt this way. Yeah. But these are emotional, you know, universal experiences. And I think if you can capture an emotional truth, the details don't matter as much. Wow. That, that's fascinating because um, I wrote this book, Peyton's Choice. Now, it's a young adult book, and it's about abortion. It's about teen abortion. And while I never got pregnant, uh, especially as – I mean, I've never been pregnant in my life, but um, I never experienced it as a young person. But what I did was I took the backdrop of where I lived and my friends, and I and I used it to – help me, you know, write the story. But what was so, what you talk about this emotional thing, one of the things that I wanted to, and I didn't even realize this when I started writing the book, but it just kind of came out, um, that I wanted to touch on that really meant a lot to me was sometimes good, now this could go for women too, but in this case, good men, good young, you know, guys, teens, whatever, can say shitty things to women or say things to women that make them feel either insecure or, you know, whatever it is that's, that's not, um, uh, like fair, but it's not that they're trying to be jerks or they're being jerks. It's just that they don't necessarily know how to communicate in a way that's fair to their partner. And so I really wanted to point that out. I wanted to illustrate that, that, you know, the, the, the lead in the story who I did based on me, um, because I wasn't unable to do this when I was younger. Like she was able to communicate with her boyfriend and explain to him, when you say this, it makes me feel this way. So that instead of scolding him or, you know, pointing out or trying to make it look like men are jerks, it was like this way they were able to have a conversation about it. And I, I would hope that any young people reading it, you know, that that would stick with them. And so that's interesting that you say that emotional point of view. And, and, and the other thing that I thought of when I was writing was that, I didn't want to reference too much of like today. I wanted it to be timeless. So I think I think I had texts. That's like the farthest. I mentioned Facebook or Instagram and texts. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That stuff is definitely tricky because it changes so fast. Yeah. But you're totally right that getting that kind of core truth mm-hmm. is what drives something forward and makes it timeless. I think. And 
the other thing is you're I also do that with my characters I they have much more present <laughs> in their ages than I did when I was their age and I think yeah. that's that's kind of therapeutic in a way, right. too, for an author. Yes, it totally is. That's so funny. So how did uh, writing children's books turn into working in politics? Yeah, um, that's a great question, and I think I may have a unique answer because I'm not sure anyone else has followed that <laughs> career path. Um, I, I actually attended a publishing holiday party in December of 2016, um, which was a, a holiday party I'd attended many times in the past, but this time... Uh, we were all feeling, I think, the bell of pain still ringing mm. inside us after the <laughs> November 2016 election. Yeah. And there was um, a state senator there to speak. And I had been to a bunch of large gatherings of, you know, what to do in the face of Trumpism and how we can all work and fight back and take back the U.S. House. And, you know, so I was finding my sea legs in terms of political action. But that night was a real turning point for me because that state senator, um, New York state senator, whose name is Daniel Squadron, he said a bunch of things about what we could do in the face of Trumpism. And, you know, one thing that he said that just struck me was if you and your friends come together and can get a hundred thousand dollars together, you can be among the most powerful forces to flip the state chamber. Wow. And He's also said, you know, if you can get 100 people to go to Albany three times a year, you can make one of your issues top on the agenda. Hmm. And I was just like, wow, like, he's talking about this room. There's mm -hmm. like 100 of us here. Mm -hmm. This room. And that idea really struck me. Now, the truth is that when he said that, I had to kind of scratch my head and say, like, what's a state chamber exactly? <laughs> um, because I really didn't know. And mm -hmm. I remember in the cab on the way home thinking, do I know who my state senator and state house reps are? And if you had asked me then who they were, I would have been like, is that Schumer and Gillibrand? Hmm. But I would have been wrong because right. those are my <laughs> U.S. senators. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know who was going to Albany for me. And I thought of myself as like a pretty well-informed person. Mm -hmm. So I got together with a few other children's book authors, and we met with Senator hmm. Squadron again and to kind of dig into this idea, like, what's that? is that really true? Like, can we do this? And we started to understand that everything that we cared about was actually controlled by state legislatures. The hmm. things we were worried about, you yeah. know, from health care to education funding to mm -hmm. environmental policy to um, choice mm -hmm. to wow. um, yeah. voting rights. <laughs> um, and, of course, gerrymandering, you know, the drawing mm. of the district lines that decide who goes to Washington, D.C., and so we started to see state capitals as these power centers that we just hadn't seen at all hmm. and that really had been operating in darkness in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it shone a lot of light that night, and I really turned in that direction. Wow, that's really fascinating. Um, so then w why do state legislatures matter? And I know it's not just about gerrymandering. So outside of what you just said, like, why do they matter? And then how can, and this might be a loaded question, it might be too much, but I mean, how can someone like me or just the average listener who's not paying, I mean, okay, first of all, people who listen to my show, I think are pretty well informed, but I, I can't tell you the, my state reps, I don't know. So I feel like you did, you know, when, when, when you had that meeting. So maybe talk to people like us and little things that we might be able to do to make a difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the truth is, I would say that 99% of the people that I still talk to, including my friends who know that I do this work, have trouble naming their, their mm-hmm. state reps. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing. Um, so what I started to really understand was that state capitals have influenced what has happened to our country, mm-hmm. not just in 2016, but well before. Mm-hmm. You know, during the Obama administration from 2010 to 2016, uh, we lost nearly a thousand state legislative seats as we wow. stared at the White House. Yeah. And, um, you know, majorities in red states were a real thing. There mm-hmm. was something called Project Red Map, and it's a really obvious name for what <laughs> people were trying to do, and it succeeded. And those places that had Republican trifectas, meaning that the governor's mansion and then both the state Senate and the state house are in Republican hands, those are the states that put in right-to-work laws, defunded education, Mm. gutted environmental protections. And in those states, people's lives got bad. Um, But Mm. they didn't really tie that to their state capitals because the news and our cultural conversation really focuses on Washington, Mm D.C. So you start blaming what you can see. And what you can see is the president. And what you can see, if you're looking a little further, is Congress and the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. But you're not really seeing how these local representatives in your state capital are deciding these things. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a couple of examples which really drove it home for me. So I grew up in North Carolina, and my heart absolutely broke when the bathroom bill passed. And once I started doing this work, I was like, oh, that was Raleigh that did that. Hmm. And I started to understand that, you know, the standard round gun law that passed in Tallahassee and let Trayvon Martin's murder go free, mm-hmm. that was Tallahassee. And then it passed in, I think, 25 other state capitals and Flint, Michigan. That's a Lansing problem. That's yeah. not a Washington, D.C. problem. Yeah. Now, all of those things happened while Obama was president. And they weren't things that Washington, D.C. was touching. They were happening in state capitals. So... I feel like the seeds of Trumpism were really so well ahead of his run in state capitals and were really catching up on shining a light in that direction Hmm. because the other side has been paying attention to that for a very long time. And I think that's because state capitals are the foundations of democracy. Wow. That's, that, that's good to know. Um, And I, you know, I hope that, Listening to you now inspires me to get, you know, more involved in, in checking that out and seeing what I can do. So that's already that's already helping. You're already helping. <laughs> um, <Glad to> hear. <laughs> um, so why is this area of government um, mostly operating in the darkness? I think there are a few reasons. Um, one is the decimation of local media. I think media has kind of been centralized and nationalized in a lot of ways. And Local newsrooms don't necessarily have staff in state capitals anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Some do, but it's a real issue. I think also that we are sort of a shiny object-oriented culture. Yes, yes. And the shiny objects are in Washington, D.C. Even among, you know, I would say traditional Democratic donors, there's really no eyeballs on the state legislatures. Mm -hmm. Um, They really focus on Washington, D.C., and that is why... The thing that uh, Senator Squadron said that night, um, that if this room could raise $100,000, there could be a real impact, was true. Because these, you know, it's it's an area of extreme underinvestment on the Democratic side. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, and also an area where the races are pretty local. They are not nearly as expensive as congressional races and nowhere near as expensive as Senate races. And, you know, it is often cheaper to change the whole balance of power in a state chamber than it is to win a single competitive congressional seat. Um, And when we change the balance of power in a state chamber, especially a gerrymandered state, and we're able to get fair maps in, Mm -hmm. we get congressional seats for free after that process. Um, And so it really is this power center where the return on investment of focusing there and working there is huge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, we always hear all government is local and it really, really is. (laughs) It's really about your local. I mean, obviously, the bigger picture affects all of us. But when it comes to your individual state, your individual uh, state reps and all of that, they have such huge influence. And I think it's good to pay attention to them for, for the obvious reasons that you're talking about. So um, let me ask you this. As far as the Supreme Court goes, how do state legislators relate to the Supreme Court? Great question. So, um, you know, states are really meant to be laboratories for democracy. So they're meant to be marriage equality, passing from state to state to becoming federal law, or health care going from Hawaii to Massachusetts to becoming the ACA. At their best, they can really be, you know, beacons of good policy. Um, you know, and right now, state capitals um, with their current majorities in many, many states are laboratories for voter suppression laws and bans on women's full health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is that many, many state laws are the things that rise up to the Supreme Court for decisions. Oh, yeah. So when we see um, that, I think it was the spring after Justice Kavanaugh was confirmed on the Supreme Court, we saw a bunch of state capitals introduce laws to limit women's right to choose. Right mm-hmm. now, that wasn't by accident. They did that so that those cases could be challenged and rise up to a Supreme Court that might now be mm-hmm. ready to challenge Roe versus Wade, which is the federal law of the land. Mm-hmm. But states are always testing that. And um, so, even though it's absolutely true that things are local and they matter for your state, it also really matters nationally mm-hmm. because, yes. like I said, when good policy mm-hmm. spreads that's great for everybody. And sometimes it rises up to be federal law and that can happen for bad policy too. You know, I just want to ask you a question talking about uh, reproductive rights and the right to choose and everything. There's this, this conversation that happens that I've seen people say that Republicans want to keep abortion legal. And I mean, just the other day I had Jared Yates Sexton talking on my show and he said, you know, they want to keep it legal and, and that way they can use it, you know, as a wedge issue and everything. But then if they are able to finally just get, you know, all the power they want, that's when they would take it away. I'm wondering, though, like, for instance, what are the chances? And this is just random question, wondering what you think about this. But what about the idea of them taking it away now? Now, let's just say it goes, you know, Roe v. Wade goes to the Supreme Court and they decide they're going to shoot it down because what Republicans can do is they can say, well, when you get Democrats in power, they'll find a way to make abortion legal again. So they can still use that issue. I mean, am I wrong on this? No, I don't think so. I haven't I haven't thought about this in this in these terms. But, you know, I I think what would happen if 
if that became the case, is that it would go back to the states, right? The decision would need to be made state by state by state. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I think it's absolutely been kind of a a hot-button issue for so long and a real issue that has galvanized um, both sides. And I think (laughs) what what I, I keep coming back to, you know, thinking about how, like, this is the law of the land, mm-hmm. and this is granting full health care rights to women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's absolutely, um, you know, something that's just been decided. Yeah. But when states have the power to try to challenge these things and have majorities who are interested in challenging these things, mm-hmm. it can absolutely, you know, become a danger zone. Wow. Um, now, let's say, let's go to Kentucky. Okay, Um is, is there good news for Democrats who live in Kentucky who just can organize and change the balance of power, power there in their state capital? I mean, is that a possibility, or is, the, or is the state too red? That's a great question. So um, I work at uh, an organization called Future Now Fund, and it was actually founded by that New York State Senator I heard speak that first night, Daniel Squadron, um, who resigned from the Senate to found <laughs> Future Now Fund. And we do a 99-chamber analysis. 99 state chambers because Nebraska is unicameral, um, so that's why there's 99. But we look at where it's possible to change the balance of power, Mm -hmm. and um, we look district by district to figure out where we think there's possible flips. Um, Kentucky has not been one of our our target states Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, electorally, Mm -hmm. I will say that. But the other part of, of um, our sister organization, Future Now, does policy work, and all 50 states are part of our policy work. And we have had representatives from Kentucky on um, our fellows list, meaning that they participate in um, our policy seminars and working with us to try to introduce and pass good policy. And the truth is, Future Now Fund is a nonpartisan organization. We're mm-hmm. interested in representatives who want to improve Americans' lives. And um, that means that, you know, passing good policy is what matters. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the thing that's really going to make change. And so in Kentucky, you know, we have worked with lawmakers and, you know, had have helped people introduce certain bills that can hopefully get passed at some point. But I will say that there are definitely states that a longer term situation yeah yeah but I mean obviously but I think that's an interesting concept because you know I remember hearing back in the midterms that so many people were saying in Texas specifically Texas voters were saying that they didn't feel it was worth voting because it was such a deep red state and then Beto run, ran and he came pretty close and everybody was like wow you know look we can actually do this I mean obviously he didn't win but the fact that he came as close as he did showed voters there that they're that they do have power. And so if you take a look at some of these really red states, I mean, right now I can see where like for target reasons, I totally would get why you would choose, you know, maybe a purple state or a pink state over a deep, 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 deep red state like Kentucky, because first you want to knock out what you can get. But on the other hand, people in Kentucky right now who are listening to this show, you know, I mean, they could start, uh, you know, start something at this moment. And 
like you said, if it's like a hundred people or whatever it is that you need to to get some momentum, just to just to start making those little tweaks and changes. And I mean, I'm not saying like we should prioritize the reds, the deep red states, just that they aren't maybe as difficult as we, you know, so often like to just take a red state and say, okay, well, it's just useless and we're never going to win. I like to think that we just can start chipping away. So while we're turning and flipping pink and purple straights blue, you know, we're chipping away at those red states so that when it comes time to get to them, we might have made some progress, or at least that's my hopeful thought anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're totally right. And the truth is that, um, you know, we, we were in Texas in 2020 um, to try to help flip the state house. And part of the reason for going there is because of Beto's path um, where he had won a lot of the state house districts mm-hmm. that we needed um, to flip the chamber. And we did end up only winning one seat. And, and you know, but since 2016, we're plus 12 seats in the Texas wow. house. And holding that ground in a year like 2020 yes. was important and huge, you know. Um, so, yes, you're, you're right. And the truth is that one thing that I like people to think about, too, is that it's about taking the majority mm-hmm. because that's really when you get policy passed. Now yes. I think it's, it's awesome to flip one seat at a time and it's important, but I think that often when people get involved in politics, they get into one candidate and it's like this candidate, this right. candidate, there's like one person who's going to save us. There's one person mm-hmm. who I need to get elected. There's one person here. And especially in legislatures, especially with lawmakers, it's all about getting the majority and um and focusing on like where we can get the majority and Mm. moving in that direction um i will say though that state legislative races are decided by really small margins Hmm. and um you know many of our races were lost or won by fewer than 500 votes (laughs) these are still local races and when people get on the ground and organize for their state races it can absolutely make a difference because these are tiny, tiny margins, mm-hmm. and um, and they're local races. They are they're about candidates knocking on every door in their district. Um, we are absolutely huge proponents of of door knocking mm-hmm. and the effects that that can have, um, not only on winning a campaign, but then also being a better representative once you get yes. to the state capital because you've met your constituents. Right. Um, it's a virtuous cycle and. The policy work that we do is also a virtuous cycle because when you see your local lawmakers fighting for policy that you believe in, that helps them get reelected. That wow, helps yeah. you, you know, want to propel them and help them. And, you know, like we mentioned earlier, most people don't know who their state representatives are. And the, the, the ballot is designed in many, many states so that that level of government is really far down. It's mm-hmm. under all the statewide offices. It's, of course, under the federal offices. And I think that, you know, if I if I were telling people to take one thing away who are listening today, it's please find out who your state representatives mm-hmm. are if you don't know and start asking other people in your life mm-hmm. if they know. Mm-hmm. Because these are people who 100% are deciding whether you have clean water and yes. who are deciding how your education is funded and who are deciding your voting rights. I mean, I think that's been popping up a lot in the news lately, the... Um, you know, there are many, many states that are now putting in pretty egregious voter suppression bills, and that's the state legislature. Mm-hmm. So, 
when people are talking about like, oh, it's such great news. Georgia is a blue state. Arizona is a blue state. Pennsylvania is a blue state. Those aren't blue states. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are states that went for Biden, which Mm -hmm. is really exciting and really important. But they are still controlled Mm -hmm. um, at the legislature, at the legislative level by Republicans who are now passing a lot of restrictive voting bills to try to make sure that the top of the ticket doesn't go blue again. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I mean, also, I hate to be a bit of a Debbie Downer, but I was speaking with someone the other day who described himself as a staunch Republican, but he did not like Trump. And so I, you know, I, I would imagine if he voted, he probably voted for Biden. Um, he might have voted third party or not voted at all. But I just, you know, I, I worry, though, like, will he vote for Kamala Harris when the time comes? I wonder about that. But that's just a side note, just thinking out loud. But what I wanted to ask you, as far as the state, like state representatives. So let's say, you know, I'm wanting to see marijuana legalized in my state. Um, obviously, I could go to my senators, you know, the, uh, the, the federal level. But I mean, would you, would you recommend contacting your state representatives for things like that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's 100% a state issue at this point. Um, and, you know, what's great about your state representatives is they probably have an office right near you. Um, so you could just go by. They don't get a lot of calls. <laughs> they don't get a lot of visitors. Really? Um, that's good yeah. to know. And, okay. and it's absolutely voter uh, con- constituent contact with state representatives yeah. has a huge impact. So it really is true that if hmm. you, like, even five friends decided, like, hey, let's set up a meeting with our state representative yeah. and talk about this issue, 100% would you get a meeting. You huh. would get, you know, a lot of information and, and you know, hopefully leave with a plan of action. It, it really it really can make a difference. Wow. That, that's exciting. I mean, I've kind, of, I've kind of understood that, but when you talk about it, it's making me feel like I should start pushing people. It's like, for instance, you know, you see people on social media. Some of them are legitimate trolls. Some of them are just feeling like this is not a fair country, and they say both parties are the same. I don't know how anybody with a working brain can look at what's happening and say both parties are the same. But I do understand that there's corruption in government, and there are things that, you know, I mean, the money that is in government does not help people. There, there are all kinds of things in the way that we have our system set up that could be better and more effective. But at the same time, um, I think it's important to know that, you know, for all voters to know that you do have this power, that you can go, you know, I, I will give you an example that I used to advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. Well, I still kind of do, but before it was voted in by all 38 states, I know there were a lot of people, I knew a lot of women, so I always tend to say women, but men were involved too. So they were going down to their state capitals and their state legislatures, and they were knocking on doors, and they were talking to these people. And, you know, I mean, of course they were talking to the federal representatives, but they were also talking to the state ones, and they were making sure that everybody was up to date. And it's interesting because sometimes you will find that your local representatives don't really know very much about a certain issue that you might be completely passionate about. So not only can you influence them, you might even be able to educate them on something that they are interested in. I mean, obviously, most of them are aware of the marijuana situation, but I mean, other things that, you know, like the Equal Rights Amendment, so many people in Congress didn't even know because m- most people in this country had no idea 
that the ERA, or they still don't have any idea that the ERA hasn't been codified into the Constitution. It's been ratified by all 38 states now. But now there's just recently, yeah. yes, just yeah. recently, and and now they're in the fight. I just heard that um, they're in a fight because there was a deadline that was attached and then expired, and then a judge decided that it had that it, that the deadline was valid. But I think that the House, if I'm not mistaken, just voted to remove the deadline. So of course that would have to move to Senate, which I don't know about that. So we'll see. But we should we have I don't I I just don't know what the count would be like do we need 51 votes or do we need three-fourths I don't know that but uh, it still goes the it, it still goes into when you see people who are disgruntled and they feel like they can't trust government I think a lot of that comes from not understanding that they actually do have power and it, it's more than just voting for a president it's more than even just voting for voting in the midterms and voting in the general people get stuck on that it's like you said you get stuck on one person but it, it, it goes down to, it trickles down all the way into your neighborhood and your city council and all of this stuff. And so if you, like you said, if you could get a group of people and, you know, you just put the pressure on, that's where we're going to find really solid change. And that's where we could really see Democrats, if, Dem- if all Democrats would figure out a way to do this, where we could really make an impact that's long lasting and visible. Like you could like, like, like a blue map, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it really is about recognizing your own power Mm -hmm. because I think until people feel it, Mm -hmm. they can feel pretty helpless. Right. And, um, you know, I, so my title at future now fund is I'm the director of giving circles because after that first, after that first, meeting with Daniel Squadron, I formed what became the first giving circle um, with a bunch of children's book authors. And we ended up, um, you know, raising a little bit more than a hundred thousand dollars. And it was, you know, it was us talking to living rooms and saying like, we're going to each give a thousand dollars. Can you match it? Or can you give two fifty and ask four friends to give two fifty? Or, you know, we kind of broke it down and we got there and we went that year was 2017 and Virginia has off year elections as a voter suppression mm-hmm. tactic. Um, <laughs> yes. And they, so they have elections this year too, actually, but that year we helped elect nine, um, nine new folks into the house of delegates in Virginia. And the balance of power there got so close, just one seat away from mm. Democrats holding the majority that, Richmond expanded Medicaid in the state wow. and that meant that 400,000 Virginians yeah. got health care who didn't have it otherwise. And we felt so connected to that mm-hmm. policy outcome and started to see that this was a real way to create not just, um, you know, kind of change in terms of who's there, but actual structural change in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um and Virginia, by the way, also is the state that finally finished the ratification of the ERA. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. So that new blue majority in Richmond also helped get that up, kick that up to the federal level. Wow. Um, so it's really consequential. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've learned through working with Giving Circles is that um, the idea of walking with your network of people mm-hmm. is a really powerful one because mm-hmm. when you walk with your people, you walk with so much more power. So and I feel true. like I've learned that about myself. I mean, I didn't think I'm, I'm not a person who can hand big checks to politicians, but I am a person who can gather my people and talk about this and talk about why I care about this 
and move people to join me in a giving circle that ends up with an impactful total that can help change the balance of power in the state chamber. And that has felt incredible. Um, so I really love the idea of moving people into the space where they can recognize their own power and the power that they walk with when they walk together with yes. their networks. So how would you suggest that people can organize um, to impact the state legislatures, uh, both electorally and policy-wise? Like, you talk about the giving circle. Give me an example or walk me through uh, just the process you went through to organize this. And then when you got people in the room, what did you say to them to, to keep them there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um <clears throat> We now have a program, the Giving Circles program, which kind of walks people through. So when people sign up to start a Giving Circle with us, we give them all the kind of materials and stats and things that they might want. Um, and we ask them to do an activity where they basically roll a deck, which is such an outdated word, but they map <laughs> out their network. They, they write down everyone's name and how they'd like to contact them and... Um, and then they usually, I mean, right now they're hosting Zooms, but they'll mm -hmm. gather their mm -hmm. people, their core people in a Zoom room. Yeah. And, you know, we give them a lot of the facts and figures about like, oh, from 2010 to 2016, we lost nearly a thousand state seats. But the truth is that, and we have videos that explain all that too. And the truth is though, that what they need to bring to it is their own story. Mm -hmm. Because the power of personal connection and personal narrative, especially with your friends, is the real strength. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, we work with people on, you know, just connecting to what is a story that tells the story of why you're doing this work. Um, and I'll tell you one of mine, I often tell the story about that holiday party that really changed me, but another moment that I had with whether, with just knowing that I was on the right path in focusing on state legislatures was, um, when my then four-year-old came home from preschool and she said, um, said, oh, mom, I, we played this game today. It was called Lights Out, Don't Make a Sound. And I was like, oh. And she was like, we hid in the closet. And the teacher said the quietest kid, you know, would, would you know, win a prize. And I just really fell apart realizing that she had just had her first lockdown drill. Yeah. And, um, wow. you know, state law is what dictates whether your state has good gun safety regulations or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that hasn't moved at the federal level, but it has moved at the state level through amazing organizers like Moms and Dumb Moms Demand Action yeah. um, and every town. And it just, it made me realize why I was doing this. So I often tell people, like, when you hear how much power state legislatures have, what is, what is connecting with you? Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. what is your issue or what is your moment? that really grounds it. And when people gather their people and share that and then maybe play one of our videos about why states matter, it really changes the tone of the room, especially when people realize they don't know who their own state representatives mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it helps people understand that this is an area where we just haven't focused. Yeah. And it is absolutely core to democracy. And um, yeah, and it's, and it's, it's been paid attention to by the wrong folks. Wow, I really, I really wish that there were uh, more high-profile Democrats talking about doing this because I truly believe that 
I, and I'm going to go back to that lazy argument that both sides are the same. It's so easy to throw your hands up in the air and say, I can't do anything. Government is so corrupt. There's so much money, blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's not to say that, the, of course, government is corrupt. And there is too much money and there's dark money and there's a lot of negative things. But that doesn't mean we can't, you know, it's funny. Again, I'm going to go back to my, my guest on Monday, Jared, who had said something like, he feels that there needs to be some kind of event to like big event that's going to maybe turn the tides on something like white supremacy. Um, I totally agree. And when I, and I think that his overall meaning was in order to get a collective, you know, um, I don't know, feeling from everybody, just, you know, like we have to condemn it and whatever it is, this collective thing, there needs to be some kind of big event. Now, for instance, like with guns, obviously Sandy Hook was not enough, but I, but I maintain that if we had a democratic majority, it would have been enough because I think the will of the people is that we have common sense gun laws. And I think if we had, a, you know, a democratic majority, we could do that. I think they would write those laws and I would hope that they would, you know, I hope, I would hope that, we could keep power long enough to just keep them on the books instead of having things rescinded and changed back when Republicans get into power. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And the truth is that after Sandy Hook is, is when every town was formed and when Moms Demand Action right. was formed, and the, and they tried to go to D.C. first and right, right, realized right. that they weren't getting anywhere, so they started going to state capitals. And they've absolutely changed mm-hmm. laws, even in red states, um, getting a lot of gun safety measures passed. Um, in state capitals through their advocacy. Hmm. So it is possible. And, you know, I would argue that, I mean, to use a, to use a metaphor, um, when you're focusing on the federal level um, and even in the presidency, especially, you're really like, you're really like repairing a roof and shining a chimney hmm. um, where the foundations of the house are crumbling mm-hmm. and the foundations yeah. are state legislatures. Right. Because if we have 50 state capitals that say, yeah, we got gun safety laws, then we have a federal government that has gun safety laws. Yeah. I mean, that's how this works. And so um, so their work in those states is absolutely building and shoring up the blocks for things to change at the federal level. Wow. So um, what can you do ahead of a state election to be fully prepared? And, and I just want to I want to say that elections happen every year. Not everybody realizes that. But just as you said, you know, there, there's going to be elections in Virginia this year. I remember when there were elections in 2017. I remember that election in Virginia. In fact, I believe I was, I think it was, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's when it was that I got into an argument with Tom Nichols. I don't know if you know who Tom Nichols is, but he's kind of a, he's a, he's like a never Trump conservative. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's a bit of a curmudgeon. And so he was picking on women wearing those pink hats. And he said something like, it's fine to wear those pink hats, but you have to vote. And I said, I really think that it's indicative of the fact they will vote. And then he, and then he was very condescending and rude. And uh, long story short, though, it was funny because when, when we did have the election, women won and Democrats won. And I, I, I tweeted to him and I said, like, remembering you, Tom Nichols. <laughs> And of course, he never he never said, yes, you were right, Kimberly, because God forbid he do that. But um, I just you know, I I, I think that's just kind of funny. I had to throw the 
throw that in there. But I mean, these elections happen every single year. Not everybody's aware. So when you have state elections, what's the best way to prepare for them? And what are the resources available to us to, you know, get us up to speed? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, Virginia is having elections this year. And so is New Jersey. Those are the two states this Mm -hmm. year who are having their off year state elections for the legislature. Um, And Future Now Fund, my organization, will be working in Virginia to protect the majority that's there now. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have um, a bunch of Giving Circles formed who are working with us on that. And people are certainly welcome to join into that effort. Um, And so we have that going. I think that in 2022, we are also looking forward to those elections where the rest of the states will have their legislative elections. And the truth is that you know, as I said, this has been an area of deep underinvestment, um, and there really has been very little attention paid, even during the electoral year, but certainly not ahead of time mm-hmm. to these races. And often, you know, there aren't candidates yet necessarily. The filing deadlines are later. But the truth is that there are still ways to support state caucuses and seed the ground for these races. Hmm. Um And so I think that there are a lot of grassroots groups that work on local races. Those are certainly great to get involved in, even not in an election year, especially not in an election year, because early support, early resources can always go farther. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, elections, campaigns are used to a lot of their funding coming in in September and October, right ahead of a November election. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that those dollars, don't go nearly as far as early dollars because mm-hmm. there's there's not a plan for them. You mm-hmm. know, the plan gets drawn up in the spring and you're not sure what you have in the spring or what you could count on coming in. You can't deploy resources that quickly ahead of an election. And so early involvement and early investment in state elections is is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, in any election, it's huge. Um, and for state legislatures, which have been so ignored, it's, it's really big. So definitely people organizing um even starting now for 2022 we Mm -hmm. have some of our giving circles who are starting now ahead of time um for states that they want to be in and and help out in in 2022 Mm -hmm. so i think part of it is understanding that this this work of tending to democracy is not just the fall before an election yeah that is actually an ongoing thing and um and i think people getting involved and even the act of gathering your people mm-hmm. and learning is absolutely a political act. Um, understanding that bringing people together and saying like, do we all know who our state representatives are? Great. Okay. Now we know that. Have we figured out what they stand for? Mm-hmm. You know, like, are they sharing our values? That is something that people can do locally at any time. And, um, and it, it's, it's hugely impactful. <laughs> because, like I said, these are just really ignored areas. And, um, and so any kind of light and any kind of um, advocacy in that direction can have big, big impact. So I, I know you're, it's Future Now USA, right? So you're futurenow.org. FutureNow.org and yeah, future at FutureNowUSA on Twitter. Yeah, right. So now, if you if you want to set up one of these um, meetings, these giving circle meetings, does your website give you um, like a template on how to do that? 
So on our website, there is a get involved link and it has you fill out a form and then a member of our team contacts you to say like, you know, do you want to get involved in which, you know, which part of our organization do you want to get involved in? And Giving Circles is one of the options. Mm-hmm. And then our Giving Circles team gets in touch with the resources. We have a library. We have um, ways to set up a page. We have kind of everything you need to get started. Well, that's important to know because I, I know that it's like if you're just going to say, oh, I'm going to have a meeting with my friends, it's like nobody knows where to start. But if you've got some kind of template, which you guys clearly offer, um, then you, you, you understand what direction to go in as long as you've got some, somebody guiding you through it. And I think that's incredibly important. So I'm definitely going to put that information in the text of the Patreon description of the show. I know this show goes out to all different kinds of uh, – you know, Stitcher and all that good stuff. But but if you're not on that Patreon page right now, it, again, it's at Future Now USA on Twitter. That's where you're going to find it's futurenow.org, and you can follow that. And then if you want to get you know something going, just get your friends. Like, like she's saying, Melissa's saying, start with your friends, have the conversations, and it's so much easier to approach anybody in government when you have. So it's like you said, walking together. Walking with you, with your people makes you feel stronger, and especially if you have everything mapped out. So, and I want to ask you this last question. Um, excuse me. <coughs> so, let's say you go to your state legislator and you talk to your state rep, and you tell them, "Hey, look, we're really not happy with this. We'd like to see more of this." Um, how receptive are they? And then, like, how how would you go about, okay, let's say you've got a Democrat and you want to keep a Democrat in there and you don't necessarily want to worry about primarying them. Um, how can you make a Democrat who's not being incredibly effective more effective? What are the types of, I don't know, techni- techniques or tactics or whatever that you could, because the thing is, is I think so many times our, our representatives don't hear from the public and they either don't hear or they don't care but but the one like how do you make them care especially on a state level since you said they're not really hearing from anyone so since it is so impactful how can you get maybe a lazy democrat to care that's a great question well i mean the first thing that i that i should say is that you know in only in nine states is being a state representative a full-time job it is a part-time job um sometimes the legislature only needs like in Texas, once every two years. Wow. Um, and it is, you know, the people are teachers, they're lawyers, they're um, restaurant owners, they're, they have other careers, and, they, and not all of them are policy experts, and they don't have staff uh, a lot of the time. They're wow. not nearly as outfitted as your federal reps. And right. so... Um, you know, that's important to know that these are, this is a citizen legislature um, mm-hmm. in many instances. And so you're talking person to person, which I think is actually like a really great thing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, we do actually, our policy organization um, has a website, americagold.org, mm-hmm. where we have seven broad values that we'd like states to try to um, reach um, strive towards. There are things like that any person would have their head at, like clean air and water, investing in children, mm-hmm. empowering people with special interests. And underneath those broad um, categories are targets that we'd like states to try to reach by 2030. So those mm-hmm. are things like ending mass incarceration in your state, mm-hmm. um, 
ending um, ending poverty for 100% of the people in your state. And under those targets are model bills. So they are model bills that move towards those targets. And the model bills are there for state lawmakers. The site is really for state lawmakers mm-hmm. to go and um, use as a resource. And it's fully really public. And if members of the public are interested in moving forward on certain of certain of these issues, it's absolutely a resource that people could use to say, here's a model bill, and it has passed in these states, hmm. and um, I'd like to see us look at it for our state. Right. Um, so that's a resource that people can absolutely go to. Um, and it's, it's really true that these are not career politicians mm-hmm. in most cases. Um, but it's also true that this is a place to build the bench. You know, Barack Obama mm-hmm. was a state senator. Stacey yeah. was a state house rep in Georgia. Right. Um, and it is absolutely a bench builder. It's also a bench builder for the other side. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I would say, you know, Steve King was a state legislator. It, it, it's a place where um, a lot of things come together, mm-hmm. but it has so much power and so little spotlight that wow. people can yeah. really have a huge impact. Wow. Well, that's that's fantastic. And um, what a fascinating uh, guest you are. And I'm so grateful for your insight. And I think that, you know, I'm hoping that people who are listening to this are feeling inspired because you can make it. I mean, like I said, I've got people on the show that are just like me, political junkies, always listening and always following. But that doesn't mean we know everything. You know, so uh, there's always something to learn. There's always something new in politics. And I came late to the game. You know, I was I was not so interested in politics until I would say the thing that really pulled me in was the Al Gore uh, W. Bush thing. And then it went to the Supreme Court. That's when I started to really pay attention. And then increasingly over the years. But again, with the fact that, you know, yes, I've been paying attention to politics now since the year 2000. So for 21 years, I still don't know. My, I think I, I actually do think I know one of my state reps names. I think it's David Trone. <laughs> I think I know David Trone won in 2018. So I'm pretty sure he won in 2020, but I'm not sure. So I don't know. But anyway, um, it's been really great talking to you. But uh, I just want to say, is there anything else ask ask you i should say uh, and i just have to i just have to throw this in there i don't know why but i'm having like this brain foggy moment today so that's why I, I feel like i'm a little off <laughs> so <laughs> my apologies if i am i'm like oh my gosh no i love this conversation <laughs> i hope i haven't i mean i really i actually i get so enthusiastic about this and i want i have like so much that i want to share with people so yeah. i hope i wasn't cramming too much stuff in but no, no, I, no, no, you no. know i really have like changed my career for this and and just oh. feel on this level because when I watch what's happening, yeah. um, you know, with Senate right now, when I watch things not moving, I know that things can move in states, and I yeah. know that the work that I'm doing is impactful in that way. Um, it's been, it's honestly been really cathartic for me over the last four years, and continues to be. Um, and you mentioned Bush v. Gore. You know, that actually was the Florida legislature. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was right. the voting laws in Florida, and right. that was. Tallahassee deciding certain things about ballot. Um, mm-hmm. So the power just is immense. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Wow. That's just, that's just really good to know. So thank you so much for being on the show. Now, before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? And keep in mind, I am going to put the uh, Future Now um, USA 
handle in the Patreon description as well as the um, website. But as far as you're concerned and your books and everything, where, where can everybody find you? Um, thanks for asking. Um, they can find me at melissacwalker.com and melissacwalker on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you again. You can also, um, before I forget, see, I told you my brain, my brain's just going, <laughs> um, I'm author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end of my name on Twitter. And then of course you can find my books too on Amazon. So if you do get one of uh, Melissa's books and you like it and you read it and all that good stuff, please leave her a review because authors always need good reviews. I love to put that in there all the time because we always do. So thank you for being a guest, Melissa. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for all of your wonderful knowledge. Oh, thank you, Kimberly. And it is a real pleasure to talk to someone who's not only a political person, but also a YA author. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, you take care. Be safe. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's finally good news on the horizon. Vaccinations are increasing, and if we're smart, the end of the pandemic could be just months away. But between now and then, it's more important than ever to be careful. People are doing more traveling and socializing as they feel risks are diminishing. So having the right mask, the best mask, to get you past the finish line is absolutely essential. And now, the New Deal Shop.com has the gold standard N95 masks. These are NIOS. SHN95 masks. They have the best fit with headband straps, they're FDA authorized, and they meet the strictest, most reliable standard for masks on the market. These N95 masks come in a box of 20 and they ship free immediately. Maybe you know someone who has plans for traveling or getting together with family at spring break. If so, these N95 masks are an essential part of that plan. Go to the newdealshop.com. That's the newdealshop.com. Get N95 masks with free immediate shipping. There's a small supply in stock shipping now. Go to the newdealshop.com and get your N95 masks.